Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Great to see you guys. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor here at Compass Church. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a crazy time in American history right now. And, and so we're going to jump right into some stuff here. While I'm not intending to pick on him personally, unfortunately for a guy named Harvey Weinstein, his name has become synonymous with the nationwide purge of basically men who have had histories holding positions of power and using that power to sexually degrade and assault women over a long period of time. It's crazy what's happening. It's like every single day a new figure emerges, whether in politics or entertainment or business, more and more allegations surface. And the people that are seeing on top of this are saying, we haven't even scratched the surface. There are so many to the point of there's almost some people are saying it will just be a fatigue that settles into the society where it'll just become like we just get sick of hearing about it because there'll be so many people that have yet still to be exposed for this type of behavior. And whenever something like this happens in our society, we always want to ask the question or we tend to ask the question, how did we get here, you know? And to be honest, what I think is happening, a lot of it is actually really good in the sense that some of this stuff is coming to light. I mean, regrettably, the salacious details are a part of that, and it's, of course, humiliating and embarrassing for many of these women to have to relive this stuff all over again or stuff that they were trying to move on from, and they're speaking out and this sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, in many cases, it is the truth, and it's been going on for years, and finally our culture is saying, enough is enough. And if the culture can get to the the point where we say we don't tolerate this kind of stuff at any level in our society, even the levels of entertainment and business and politics, and of course the military's got their own share of scandals as well regarding this that, that kind of pop up here now and then. And if we can collectively as a society say, no, we don't want to do this anymore, that, that's ultimately, I think, a good thing. The challenge, though, is the culture's really good at identifying problems and calling out behavior that it doesn't want. The, the problem is it so rarely doesn't have a lot of solutions at all. It just doesn't offer any solutions. So while I think this is good, some of this, this collective um, realization that we've come to, I fear it's short-lived because what do we do now? Because you might look at all these scandals that of otherwise respectable people, guys like Charlie Rose and Roy Moore and Russell Simmons from different parts of society that have been kind of, you know, fairly well respected as achieving a lot of stuff and being kind of iconic figures in our society. And you could ask the question, how could this have happened? But that's really the wrong question. The wrong question is, is how could this have happened? And it's really, that's not what we should ask. The right question is this. How could this not have happened? The stuff you're seeing in the news, you really got to ask yourself the question, how could this not have happened? Because as we're going to read in our passage today in just a few moments, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. And there are powerful men and there are beautiful women. There always has been, there always will be. 
There is ego and ambition and a drive for conquest and and status and sex that is part of our nature across the board, culturally and throughout time and wherever you live. And so the question is not, what is the reason that these men did all of these things? The real question is, is there any real reason that they would not do them? You say, well, we have laws. Well, yeah, we have law. We have more laws than we've ever had against, you know, discrimination and harassment and all this kind of stuff. We say, well, maybe we need more education. Are you serious? We're like the most educated people in the world, man. We have so much education just bleeding out of our ears. We need another program. Right. We need another corporate training video. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen those things? Yeah, I mean, I, I serve part-time in the Air Force, and we watch our share of corporate training videos, computer-based trainings, they call them, right? I mean, nice try, but, you know, you click, 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 try to stay awake, and then, boom, you're done, and somehow your behavior is magically changed, right? That doesn't work. Everybody knows it doesn't work. You see, what is happening today is taking place. Because the people that have been doing these things have no real core, compelling, fundamental reason not to. The society has no answers to the question, what is life for anyway? I mean, have you really thought about that? What is life for anyway? What are men for? What are women for? What is sex for? I mean, I know what it does, and you know know how it works, but why? What is it supposed, what is it really for? Have we ever stopped back, stepped back and said, why is the world made the way that it is? I mean, you look around, you can observe the world. Any, anybody that's at all interested in science can observe, use your powers of observation about the existence of the way things are. But the question is, why are they the way they are? Have you ever thought about that? And so we've been spending generations convincing ourselves that there are no answers for these questions. And so therefore, the questions themselves are dumb. Why ask those questions? It's not, it doesn't, we just know why. Why are men made the way they are? Why are women made the way they are? Why, why did things work the way that they work? Why does this world exist in the forms and fashions that it does? But there's no answers to those questions, so why bother asking them? And so in the void, we are told that nothing really matters at all. And so we pay thousands of dollars to send our kids to institutions that continue to tell them that life really has no meaning. It's whatever you want it to be. You can be whatever you want to be and think whatever you want to think and believe whatever you want to believe, I guess as long as you're sincere, because we can't know. There's no reason for anything. Now, this belief is called nihilism, and it's a cancer in our society. It's it's eating away at the, the good and the true and the beautiful because it's saying none of those things really exist. And so it is what you want it to be. So if you want sex to be this way, then make it that way because there's no real reason for it, not that we can tell, not that we even know. And so society is waking up to now to the fact that in many cases that, 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 that's not true. We're saying, wait a second, there's just some things that aren't right here. What, what you're doing is not right. And we don't know why it's not right. We just know it's not right. And it's kind of an amazing thing to watch, right? And so the title of our sermon today is Harvey Weinstein and the Search for a Better Life. In our passage is 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at, we're supposed to look at the first 22 verses. We'll probably only get through the first 14 or 13 because we have so many, so much stuff to say about these things. But what we're going to see in this passage is that 
The Apostle Paul who wrote this to the church at Corinth, an ancient church, and he's writing a letter to them, and he's basically going to attempt to offer them a picture of a better life. He's going to attempt to, to take their reality and frame it with something that, that can give them some sense of direction. And so he's going to ground them in what you might call a worldview, or if you want to get really technical, something called a meta-narrative, an overarching picture of where they belong and why, why life is the way that it is and what their history is and therefore what their future would be. And so if you don't get anything else out of what I'm going to say to you today, I want you to grab onto this point because it kind of sets the tone for where we're going. And this point is basically what he's going to try to say is this. You belong to a line, a lineage, a heritage. As a Christian, you belong to a line that has been called, has been summoned to save the world. So the stakes are too high for you to simply live like everyone else. There is a great battle for the souls of humanity, and you've been called since the beginning to be on the right side of that battle. So be very careful about how you live because what you do matters, and how you use your body and how you make the, seize the opportunities that are presented to you and employ the gifts and talents you've been given. Those decisions you make are critical to the mission that you've been called to. This is the exact opposite of what the society wants to tell you, that basically just make it up because no one really knows. And so in our passage, he's going to say several things about the Israelites, and he's going to connect their story to the Corinthian story. And it's kind of like if you remember um, the very first Star Wars movie, which wasn't episode one, right? It was episode four. Especially those of you purist Star Wars, you know that episode four, that was really the beginning, right? I mean, that was like the greatest movie of them all, is that original movie. And you know that what's so fascinating about that movie was, you know, here's this guy, Luke Skywalker, and he kind of starts off on this abandoned, kind of no-name planet out just in some random place, some random young man with no real connection to his past and no real um, idea of who he is. And it, what happens in the movie, what makes the whole story amazing is that he realizes throughout the process that he is actually attached to something that's happened a long time ago, that he is part of a lineage and a heritage that involves a great battle of good against evil, right? And it's that knowledge that then summons the best parts of him. And he realizes that rather than just being kind of like a whiny kid who's just kind of immature and just has, you know, he's kind of tinkering around with his little robots and stuff, and he doesn't really understand, or his droids, I'm sorry, um, and he doesn't really understand what, where he's going or what he's doing. All of a sudden, he's got a purpose, and he's got something that's going to chart the course of the rest of his life because he got reconnected to where he came from. It's that unfolding story that gives his life meaning. And we are in desperate need of that now. And some of us feel like we just kind of wander aimlessly in the world. And so when it comes to facing decisions that could either build us up or destroy us, either bring us closer to God or draw us away, we don't have a compelling reason to stay close to God because we go, well, who am I anyway? And so we've got to be able to figure that out. And so as we read this, we'll kind of get some ideas of what he's saying. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is our passage. And you can follow along in your Bible, or you can also look on the screen at the, at the um, verses. Also, these are questions for reflection. Notice most of the time we give you connection group questions, but right now we're taking a little bit of a break because of the holidays and everything else. 
So you can still meet in your connection groups, but we know that this is a busy time. We'll be starting them up early on next year, but we still gave you some questions that you can take home and, and look at your own on your own time and, and whatever you want or take them to your group, however you want to do that. But this is what he says. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, who are these fathers that he's talking about? Basically, the Israelites. They are the ones that he's referring to. And to see, what you have to understand is if you're a Christian, from a spiritual standpoint, God sees you as kind of grafted in, adopted into the lineage of Abraham. You are a child of Abraham, maybe not from a literal sense, as in like a, the lineage of a, of a Jewish person, but you are in a spiritual sense. This history of Israel is your history. It's where you come from. And it's so funny because you see this all throughout, like precursors of God doing this. God bringing in people like, like Ruth and, and other biblical figures, Rahab, that didn't necessarily belong in the, in the tribe of Israel, but, but came in later on and served a huge purpose. But because of God's mercy, he adopts them in and makes them part of his spiritual story. He does the same thing with us. And so there's some, there's, uh, some things that are important for you to know, and he talks about it in the passage. First of all, he says these Israelites, they, they left Egypt, right? That's the whole story. The greatest thing about the whole Israelite heritage is that they were um, delivered from oppressive slavery 400 years and came out of Egypt. But they did it by no work of their own. It was the work of God having mercy upon them. So there's several things that he outlines. He says, first, they were led by a cloud. So they're out in the middle of nowhere. How do they know where they're going? Well, there was a cloud in the sky that they could follow. And at night, it lit up, and there was like a little fire in the sky, and you could follow the light. And so, that, and so in the same way that there, there is the presence of God leading them, he says the presence of God leads you right now. You have to look for it. You have to watch for it. God is there. He's not just this distant individual that doesn't want you to know what he wants. He is there, but you've got to look for his direction. The second thing is they pass through the sea meaning they were delivered from the hand of the Egyptians in the same way they were delivered from slavery. You and I have been delivered from our own sin, but not because of a work of ourselves, but because of the work of Jesus. And so it was a miraculous thing when the waters parted. Their guys could do nothing about it, but they were able to cross, and then the waters came back and you know, drowned all of the army of Pharaoh. And that was, a, that was a purposeful deliverance that happened to rescue them from their slavery and captivity. And you and I have been rescued from our own captivity. Third, they were baptized into Moses. And that means they were counted as one with their leader. And so many times God wanted to wipe out the Israelites because they were just doing all these terrible things. And Moses is like, God, please, you know, give them one more chance. And, and God's like, all right, fine, you know, but next time I'm going to get them. And it's this kind of interesting interplay between God and Moses. But what was happening is almost Moses was like this intermediary where he could be able to speak to God on behalf of the people. And Jesus is our intermediary. He, he is the one that we find our forgiveness. He's like our high priest, right? And so Moses, and just, or just as Moses was kind of the intermediary, Jesus is that for us as well. And so we find our identification with him. So when God sees you, he doesn't see your sinful past. He sees his, his son, his perfect son. That's a, that's a huge, that's very, very important that you understand that. Fourth, 
they ate the same spiritual food, which is the manna from heaven or the bread from heaven. And the Jesus is the, supposed to be the bread of life for us. So that's the connection there. So we, the Bible says that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when we understand that Jesus is our bread, he's our, we find our life in him. So there's all these parallels that Paul is drawing between the history of the Israelites, and then finally we drink the same spiritual drink. Just as they drank miraculous water that came out of a rock, we drink from the living water, which Jesus called himself a living water. So there's all these, the important thing is there's all these parallels of the history of Israel that, that really made their lives a metaphor for how we live our lives. And so just as they were dependent upon the bread for survival, we are dependent upon the bread for our spiritual survival. Same thing with the water, same thing with the baptism, same thing with the cloud, all of these things. And so our story is found in and shaped by theirs. And what's fascinating about this is, well, what you see is that even with all these amazing miracles and the Red Sea and the cloud and the, the, the food that came out of the sky, they still found themselves in all this trouble. It says God was not pleased with them. You think, well, how is that possible? I mean, you were miraculously rescued from all those hundreds of years of captivity, set free to be your own people. How in the world could they have landed themselves into all this trouble? And the answer is really simple is they forgot who they were. They forgot why they had been saved. They forgot where they came from. And this is so important. Unless you and I remain connected in our backstory, unless we realize that there is a battle raging all the time, and there really is, and the, see, the, the, the reality is you and I have an enemy, and that part of the enemy's strategy is not necessarily to just wipe you out directly, but just to convince you that there really isn't a battle going on. That's all he's really got to do. Is how you go, nah, just, just kind of lull yourself to sleep, man. There's, there's, there's nothing going on. There's, there's peace. You know, no, one, no one's messing with you spiritually. Your family's fine. Your kids are fine. There's no one trying to attack them. Just, just go watch some more TV. You're fine. Just, just go to sleep. You're okay. That's the biggest strategy. And the reality is the Israelites got to the place where they said, you know, what's the difference between us and anybody else and the other tribe? There's, other, there's all kinds of tribes. They look just like us. They act, they act kind of like us. They worship different gods, but what's the difference between their God and my God? And so they found themselves in all kinds of trouble because they forgot who they were and what they had been saved from. So quickly. In fact, to the point of where they said, we wish we could go back to Egypt and be slaves again. We, we had it better over there. Isn't that crazy? And so it says in verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so we said, so what are you talking about? Well, all the things he's about to list happen. Now that's a crazy thing. We think about all these things he's about to list are things that happen to them for the sole purpose that when they did these things, someday we could look back and go, oh, we could learn from that. So he says in verse seven, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. This has been a well-known thing in their history. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. You see, they lost their way because they lost their why. 
And I want you to hear something very important. If you lose your why, you'll lose your way every time. If you lose the reason why you are here and what you've been called to do and why you've been saved in the first place, why Jesus died for you and rose from the dead and had to do with God's love and his mercy and all the stuff that we just sang about a few minutes ago. If you lose that, you will lose the ability and the impetus to when you have opportunities to compromise your character and to sin against God. You go, yeah, but it doesn't matter because who am I anyway? There's no battle going on. I'm not important. These things, are, these things aren't really that. There's no real great story that God's writing in my life. There's no grand narrative that starts in the Garden of Eden where, where there's sin in the garden and ever since then God has been, been trying to win back the people that he lost and gone to incredibly great lengths, even sending his own son to die and then calling people to him so that they can go out and tell other people of the grace and goodness of God so they won't wreck their lives on drugs and, and reckless sexuality and and, and suicide, and violence, and deception, and all the things that tear the soul of humanity. That's, that's not really, there's no story. We're just kind of, we're just kind of a, you know, the third rock from the sun wandering through the universe, and when our species is gone, another one will rise up. If you lose your why, you'll lose your way every time. And it's like, we've got to have this like, rabid, crazy, super intense connection to exactly why we are breathing air in our lungs and waking up in the morning and have been given the arms and the legs and the mind and the, the family and the home and the society that we've been given in this place and this time. We've got to be radically connected to that why. And if you cannot answer the question at the drop of the hat, why am I here on this planet? It's gonna be very easy for you to lose your way. And it was important because now we get into this next verse that's very, very familiar to many of you who've been hanging around for, with Christianity for a while or at church. You've heard this verse. It's very, very familiar. And so I'm going to read this and we'll talk because it's really interesting how it would fall right here at this time. So this is what he says. Therefore, verse 12. Now whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? And it usually means because you've got to look back and see what was he saying before, right? So he lands in verse 12 and he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Why? Because if you lose your way, you'll lose your why. The Israelites lost their way because they, they, they lost their, their way because they lost their why, right? So they're like, who, who are we? We're no different. So he, they thought they were strong. And he's saying, look, if you think you're strong, you gotta be better look out because you are like in serious danger of falling if you're not careful. First of all, look at the Israelites who had all of these miraculous signs and they still fell. If they could have all of these miraculous things happen to them and existentially live out what we kind of spiritually live out. I mean, they were truly set free. I mean, like in a, in a, in a, in a, in a um, three-dimensional, existential, real sense, physically move from one place to the other to demonstrate the spiritual freedom God provides. They really experienced that. They really experienced the visible cloud. They saw all of this stuff. We are inheritors of that, partakers of that. We have the metaphorical kind of um, interpretation of that spiritually that really happens to us. But they saw it with their own eyes and they still fell. So he's like, guys, if you think you're tough, you better watch out because you may not be as tough as you think you are. And so this is what he says in verse 13, and this is what's so familiar to, to all of us. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now you've heard this verse before, right? You know about this verse. You maybe you've even seen this on a plaque somewhere or you know, people talk about this a lot. And it's kind of one of those staple Bible verses that is lifted out of context and is a good, it's a good verse, but almost in a weird way, it ends up getting meaning to almost something the opposite of what I think he was trying to mean at the very beginning. And here's why. Because people will take a verse like this and they'll go, this is great. This means that whatever temptation I face, I know that if I pray, and God can show me a way out. And it almost gives you this false sense of security. Because you're like, hey, look, I, I just, whatever temptation, it could be, I could walk into any situation. And if there's a temptation, I know that God can always provide a way out. Now, is that true? It's true. But here's the problem. It doesn't work. At least not all the time. It doesn't seem to work for a lot of people. Because every single one of us has instances in our life where we know we were faced with a temptation and it was really strong and we're like, wait a second, maybe the stress of life was, was so overwhelming or all these other external factors were happening and you were so tempted to, to drive yourself back to alcohol or into some other kind of ruinous activity that's gonna, and, and you just you felt this incredible strain and you're like, wait a second, I thought that God was supposed to provide a way out. And you're like, but this verse doesn't work because I, I faced this situation and it said they, they provided a way out and I prayed and, and I still gave into it anyway. So what's going on here? Well, let's think about this for a minute. Because remember, it's in the context of, of the history of Israel and everything else. And so if you look at your, let's just say, for example, that, let's say, for example, you're married and, and you know, maybe you haven't been connecting emotionally very well with your spouse Things aren't really going particularly well for you guys at this point. And you're both overworked and you're not, you haven't had a lot of date nights or whatever. You just haven't had that, that pillow talk, all that kind of stuff. It's just, just kind of feeling like two ships passing. And because you're so busy, you haven't really been reading the Bible very much. And you haven't really been coming to church regularly. In fact, the research is in actually. I mean, that's just across the board. You have to know every major researcher says that in America, church attendance is down even among the most faithful people. And it's, and it's kind of everybody who's in, who's senior level pastoral leadership is looking at this going, you know, and it's crazy. We've, we've seen it here. We've seen, we've seen the total number of people in, that we're reaching increase, but the, our attendance has been relatively flat because people are just coming less often. And so you're missing these, these, there's these gaps, these huge gaps in people's time that they're spending connecting spiritually and reorienting themselves and getting things back on the radar screen. And so let's just say this is happening in your life right now. So because of that, you know, you haven't really been in the word much. You haven't really been connecting with God's people. You haven't been, been engaging much with anything spiritual. And so you're not really praying very much. That's just kind of, you know, maybe once in a while, but nothing really deep, no reflection, no reconnecting with the story of why you're saved and all this kind of stuff. So you're really in a slump spiritually and, and relationally as well. Now it's a Friday night and you've got this work Christmas party over at a local hotel and so you're hanging out and, and everything's fine, everyone's having a good time and you've had a few drinks and, and all of a sudden you find yourself striking up a conversation with somebody that, you know, if you're honest, you, they're kind of a mildly attractive person. You've known them for a while. They kind of, you know, you connect well on things, but you've never really 
crossed any lines and you just kind of kept things on the up and up, but now you're, you're chatting with this person and it's clear that they're making all kinds of subtle advances towards you and your boundaries are kind of rather low because you've had some drinks and you're starting to feel some things that you haven't really felt in quite a while and you just kind of caught up in that moment. And of course, you had no intentions of being unfaithful at all when you came to this party, but now you realize that you probably shouldn't drive home because you've had a little bit too much to drink. So you text your spouse and you say, hey, um, you know, I, there's some friends here and, and we're going to go up to the, they've invited me to go up to the third floor. A couple people got a room and I'm just going to crash and I'll just come home in the morning. And you meant that with the best of intentions, with absolute honesty, because that's exactly what happened. And that was your plan and it seemed fine. And all of a sudden, though, an hour goes by, your friends are gone. You don't really know what room they were in. It was just kind of a, yeah, we'll figure this out. Next thing you know, all that's left is this person you've been talking to now invites you to the fifth floor to go to their room. And now it's the clutch moment. And you can say, well, this is one of those temptations, right? This is the, this is that moment where, where you, you, you pray and you say, okay, God, help me out. And you, you, you should pray and God can provide a way of escape. I mean, you know, there's the story of Joseph, and if you've ever heard the story, then you know the moral of that story in that situation when he found himself in a similar spot was run and run now. Don't be polite. Don't say, hey, I'm really sorry. Just turn around and start running. The person will take a picture of you and just see the back of you and put it on Instagram. This person's really strange. They just turned around and started running like there was a bomb in the building. And you know that you could do that, but here's the problem. With everything I just described, if we're honest, your chances of that point of doing the right thing in that situation are incredibly small. Because for the last several months, you haven't been paying any attention to the cloud. It's been there, but you haven't been looking for it. You haven't been following it. There's been too many other things that have been getting in the way. And you haven't really thought much about the Red Sea and the freedom that you've gained. I'm like the Israelites, it's like, life is hard. Take me back to the captivity. Life is difficult. Take me back to where I was before. And so you haven't dwelt on that very much. And you've been grumbling about your life and how angry you are about all the things that shouldn't be and the ways that you're just getting the short end of the stick and all this kind of stuff. And now what happens is you find yourself completely unprepared for the situation that you're in. Because the time to pray isn't right there in the moment. The time to pray was way back before, way back before, when the warning signs could have been clearly seen, and you could have said, you know what, I'm not going to worship the idol of attention from the wrong people, and I'm not going to worship the idol of alcohol to calm and soothe my nerves as a way to help me get along in social situations and, and create that dependency on that. And I'm not going to worship the idol of, of how far can I go sexually without really crossing the line. I'm not going to worship those things because those things do not have goodness in them. That's not who I am. That's not part of my story. That's not what I've been, I've been called out from that. But there's no reconnection to that. So your chances of falling are incredibly high. 
You say, but, but I could pray in that moment. You, you could pray in that moment. But here's the problem. It's like the people that, and there's nothing wrong with this, but this was very popular years ago, the what would Jesus do bracelets, and those were really cool, you know, and the WWJD, and then of course, you know, everybody kind of had their own iteration of that. And it's, and it's a wonderful thought. So if I'm in a bad situation, I look at my bracelet and go, what would Jesus do right now? The problem is you can't wait for that bad situation to look at that bracelet because you have to be able to do what Jesus did when he was not in the spotlight to be able to perform the way Jesus did when he was in the spotlight. And so when Jesus was tempted in the desert with the most amazing, like ridiculous temptations you can imagine, it wasn't because he just lived his life like a normal person and just showed up and did it. It's because he had prepared for years of his life out of those situations. So when he was in them, he knew what to do. He knew the word of God. He knew the attacks. He understood the angles and he was ready for them. You know, those of you guys that like to lift weights and all this kind of stuff, you know you can't just walk up to a barbell without, without preparation and just lift something and expect to be able to do it. You have to have all of this time or whatever sport or activity it is, you know that that's not when you really perform. That's just the expression of all of the, the discipline that you've had over this time. And our challenge is that we think we take a verse like this and we can walk into any situation and go, well, hey, if I'm tempted, it's no big deal because God's going to provide a way out. But you've had, there's no preparation whatsoever. And so I think what's, what's really important about this is Paul's creating this, this, this um, understanding of saying, guys, your story is rooted way back before you. There is a cause, there is a, there is a saga that God has been writing about freeing his people and you're connected to that. But watch these guys because they had the cloud and they had the water and they had the, the real chariots chasing after them and they still blew it. So be careful, be careful. You know, I guess if I could just get personal with you guys about this, because, you know, it's every time I see another guy in my profession, if you want to call it that, another, you know, high-profile pastor that, that all of us look up to as this big, giant church, you know, and these crazy gifts, and you go to these conferences, and it's so funny, because these guys get up, and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I'm just getting up there and preaching the Word, and thousands of people are coming, and you're like, well, that makes me feel really good. Um... Good for you, man. And, and, and then you hear like five months later that there's some kind of moral failure that they have. And it's, you know, it's, I've talked to you guys about this before. It scares me to death to be able to, to, or to think of that being the road that I would take. And so as pastors, you know, it's, it's important that we, that we are above reproach in all things because we, for a lot of reasons, but no more than anything else because of my own relationship with Christ, it has to start there. But I'll tell you, you know, I mean, just because I'm, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I have this magical power. I'm still a regular dude. And if you're a guy sitting in here and you're like, well, he didn't struggle with that and he didn't struggle with that. Hey, I'm a dude just like the rest of you guys. So whatever you struggle with, I struggle with, okay? And... The only thing that I can tell you is that I'm at the place in my life where when I see the bright and shiny things, because there's bright and shiny things everywhere, right? All kinds of bright and shiny things. You go, ooh, or oh, look at that. Or, mm, yeah, like, oh, yeah. You know, you just are looking all around, all the different things you could go after in your life. And it's like I'm at this place in my life where I have to consciously say, or like and stare that thing straight in the face and go, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I may not feel like it in the moment. It may not look like it in the moment. But that thing is going to get old and it's going to break down and that thing's going to fail me and that pursuit is going to end up nowhere. It seems really good at the moment. Mm -mm. 
Jesus is better. And some of you guys have to say, and I was not called, and Jesus did not bleed like gallons of blood onto the ground, splashing all over the ground so that I could take his forgiveness and then basically, you know, have contempt for it by how I pursue this situation that I should have known better. But I'm telling you, the only, because sometimes there's just no other reason not to. So, you know, you think about all these guys that are getting exposed for sexually harassing and assaulting women and doing all these embarrassing things. And you think if any of them ever took the time to ask themselves, you know, what am I actually here to do? So you look at a guy like Charlie Rose, this highly respected journalist. So here it is, like 75 years old. And there's these reports coming out, and you read the article, one, one article I read, there's reports of these women in their early 20s. Like he'd invite me over to his house to do, you know, work on a project, and then he shows up and he's walking around naked. Listen, like what a tragedy. What a tragedy. You can live your whole life and be, the, and be this amazing well-respected, highly successful, brilliant, accomplished person that can contribute so much to the society and it can be gone like that. Because of all of the journalistic questions a guy like that could ask, he never bothered to ask the question, what is my responsibility in the area of sexuality? Why is it here? And what is it, how should I, what is the right way to use it? And what is the right role of manhood in relationship to women? What is right? Of all the questions you could ask, of all the interviews that you've ever done, of all the brilliant, probing, investigative questions you could have to really get to the source of the truth, you never bothered to ask that question. And it's tragic. You think if any one of these people that you see in the news right now could have asked these questions and connected themselves to a story that's beyond just this nihilistic, nothing matters, kind of it's up to you, brilliant wisdom we have of the day. Do you think any one of them would be in the mess they're in now? Not a single one of them. Because they were caught fully unprepared for the consequences of their actions. Because they said, who cares? I'll do what I want. You see, what we're after here is to see a structure and an order in the world that contains meaning. You see? We look at the way the world has been made and we worship God because of it and we say there's certain things that, that exist the way they are for a reason and it's not just scientific. There's a story that's being told. And when there's, a, when there's, a, when there's fidelity in a marriage, that is a story that's told of the love and commitment and faithfulness of God, the composite oneness, the two shall become one and that shines like a spotlight upon the family and the children see not perfection but they see a sense of harmony and security and they see aspects of God that would be very difficult for them to see otherwise because there's a story in the science. There's a story in the structure. There's a story in the history of where we've come from and you can either, you can either accept that, embrace that and say I'm a part of that or you can have contempt for it and rebel against it but you do so at your own peril. And so we keep talking about saving the world, but it's really true because you and I are here. We talked last week about clarifying the win, and what's the, what's the win? It's people. 
It's not getting mad at these ridiculous peripheral causes. It's the people in our lives that need to see the glory of a gracious God. And that's why we're here at this church. And so the reason I'm, I'm calling us, or the scripture's calling all of us collectively to, to a robust and strong sense of morality in our lives is not just simply so we can color inside the lines and make sure we're nice, tidy little people on the way to eternity, but so we can radiate the glory of God in all that we do. And people can say, you know what? There's something about you that strong and powerful and brilliant and beautiful and I see God in you. And that's why we do these things. And we have to. Otherwise, we just wander aimlessly into this world and there's no reason for it. And so I guess I'm asking you, will, will you join me in embracing this, this beautiful picture that's been created but it's so easy to, wa- to walk away from and go, nah, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Or to say, wait a second, look around and see what God's done. And then ask yourself, why am I? What, why am I here? Why, why is these things are the way they are? And is God calling me to something greater? Because he is. And it starts with Jesus. And it starts with love and grace and mercy that's been poured out upon us. And I'm asking you to join me because what we're trying to do here at this church is we're trying to help other people see that. Because I don't want, I don't, you know, look, I can't, I can't, I'm not, we're not in Hollywood. We're not in Washington, D.C., we're in the West Valley. Now I don't want our men in the West Valley doing things that these guys have done to other women that are in positions of power in the West. I want, I want, I want powerful men and women in the West Valley who are gonna use their power for the glory of God and who are gonna lead with humility. But you cannot do that on your own. You cannot do that on your own. The forces of evil are too great. I want to see powerful men and women in the West Valley who have humility and gratitude and who bring up other people and who champion the cause of the poor and the oppressed. But you can't do that without Jesus. The forces of evil are too strong. Well, I could go on, but we have another service, lucky for you. That's all I really have for you today, so why don't you go ahead and bow your heads. Just in this quiet moment of reflection, I want to give you an opportunity. If you haven't yet found Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you to do that. If you haven't yet surrendered your life to him, why not? Can you, do you have a good reason why not? If it's because you, you think you need to kind of get all yourself all prepped and ready, that's, that's not a good reason. God takes you right where you are. You, you, you really can't impress him with your good deeds or anything, so... Just say to him, God, I, I, I come to you with all of my faults and all of my failures and certain my, certainly my, my sins that, that, are, that are terrible in nature. and The things I regret, that's all I have to give you. But I ask that you take it. And in exchange, you give me forgiveness and righteousness and a new start. That you bring me from death to life. God, I, f- I know I'm dead. I know I'm dead. Yeah, I'm breathing, but I'm spiritually gone. You need to raise me to new life. So raise me up the way you raised up your son, Jesus. Give me that power of your resurrection so I can be brought back to life again. Today, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what it means to live the way I've been created to live. And if possible, God, could you even use me to help someone else find grace? God, thank you that 
we can find our future in what you've written in the past, and that you can give us a context for the present and a compelling reason, many compelling reasons, to live our lives not worshiping the idols that will destroy us, but to look at those bright and shiny things and say, no, 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 no. I've seen this before. To know and to follow Jesus is so much better. God, may we be men and women of moral courage. Not that we are perfect, because none of us are, but in a, in a culture where people are just dropping like flies, is it any wonder? May we be there ready to provide answers and reasons and hope when our friends continue to see things crumble. Thank you for always bringing life to us in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.